0: This is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast.
1: Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Denimus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Yadalee, the son of Jebedee, Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So we went out. So they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore by the disciples, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you fished? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the huge number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coal, there with fish with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish you have just caught." Simon Peter climbed into climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Again, Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? When you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciples whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it that to you? What is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread amongst the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testified to these things and who wrote them down. He know, he we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If any one of these, if if everyone of them were written down. I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the book that would be written.
0: All right, I wanna try to keep this as condensed and as simple as I can, knowing that we're um, asking parents uh, to keep their kids in the spaces with them this morning. So let me start with this. John 21 is an epilogue. What I, what I believe in the writing style is that John enters the story as the writer at the very end. Now, this isn't an afterwards where the writer addresses the readers, which is a different, different literary technique. But here, John is literally making it clear his takeaway as he's coming out of this text. And so let me, let me start with a very simple observation of the fishing story. There's so many ways in which people have, have tried to explain the idea of the nets on one side of the boat all night, not ca- not catching anything, and then very simply the next day, you throw them on the other side and the nets are full. There's people that have tried to make sense of the 153 number. A lot of times people have been able to go back knowing that in Hebrew, letters and numbers have, are interchangeable, and, and so they've been linking it to names for God. There's so many ways in which we could deep dive into this, but let me just say this to all of us. What I believe the best thing for us to take away from John 21 and this fishing story this morning is this. All of us have work to do. All of us will do our work better if our eyes and ears are fixed on Jesus, okay? So if you go to work, go to work, but do your work with your eyes on Jesus, If you're a fisherman, fish. If you're an attorney, attorney. (laughs) You know, just, you know, whatever it is that you are doing, your work, will be blessed if your eyes and ears are fixed on Jesus's voice. So the disciples were doing work. They had made a decision to go and work, and they were trying to make sense of everything that had happened in their life. But I love the way that Jesus meets them personally in their work, and I love the way Jesus comes and gently prepares food and has a A beautiful moment with them, a a moment of healing and restoration for Peter, who needed it. Think about the guilt and the shame Peter would have been carrying into that moment. But then this tenderness and this love that came over him. Now, in this epilogue, there's two different characters, two very competitive individuals that have been going at it. This writer John and this disciple Peter seem to be in some sort of brotherly competition And I don't want us to get too distracted from the fact that Peter was going to die and John was going to live, because that's where the disciples got lost. They were trying to make sense of Jesus's words and how to deal with the metaphor and then how to deal with what he's literally saying. And the thing that I want us to, to understand is that some of you are asked by God to care for the church differently than somebody else. Peter was asked to literally feed, which meant to shepherd, to teach, to go back into their scriptures and to continue to show how Jesus was the Messiah. Look at the the sermon in Acts 2. Look at the church's response in Acts 3, 4, 5. Peter had an incredible job to do until his life was threatened and James had to step up and become the public figure for the Jerusalem church. But John, John, this is an example for us today. John was asked to become a writer to the early church. John was specifically asked to write things down and to share with great detail, not just the gospel that we have. He has a letter to the early church, volumes 1, 2, and 3 that we have in the New Testament, as well as the attributes of the Revelation story. But John was asked to do something very specific that I believe is a great example for all of us, So as we've been going through this gospel, we've been looking at the ways that which Jesus interacted with people. But have we taken time to reflect on the writer himself? We've had a chance to look at all of the different accounts of the interactions. But John sets an example to you and I that if we are going to take our faith in following after Jesus seriously, we need to seriously evaluate our story. How much time have we taken to sit down and record the times that we have seen God do things? How many times have we taken time to journal out or to write out or to practice writing out the things that God has done for us? Now, a lot of times you will kindly invite a friend to church so that somebody like myself or others can share the good news of Jesus with them. But can I tell you, church family, What Baltimore needs is for your friends to hear from you why you believe in Jesus. Now, it's not just you going back saying, well, I was born to so-and-so and and then I grew up going here, there. Like, your friends want to know, like, when did your eyes see? When have your ears heard? And so your testimony doesn't have to be this chronological story that takes you from 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 the cradle all the way through to your present moment in life. Your neighbors are wanting to know what facts, what evidence have you investigated? What moments have you felt like that your faith wasn't pointless and it was just religious activity? I love how in the opening chapter, in John chapter 1, John sets a tone for, for the people he's wanting to persuade by saying, let me tell you how I spent time with the one that spoke the world into existence. But in John chapter one, he shares seven names of God that we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about. But what John does is he's wanting to show people with great intention how he experienced Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen one to come and to be with us. So not only does he introduce seven names of God in chapter one, he goes on and takes the covenant name for God. And uses it repeatedly throughout the letter. Do you guys know what the covenant name for God was? Say it louder. I am. And so there's seven I am statements in John's gospel. The first one um, is, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And then he goes on. In in seven other places to just say the words I am. So this is 14 times that he's either I am with a, with an attachment, or in chapter 4, verse 25, chapter 6, 20, 8, 21, 8, excuse me, 824, 828, 858, 13, 19, 18, 5. He says, I am. So John is introducing his audience to the people he's writing to with great power and authority, saying, I spent time with our covenant God. Now imagine the conversations he was having. Now we get the letter, we get the gospel, we've spent time in this gospel. But when John wrote this, he had personal interactions with people. Now imagine what it would have felt like to sit down with him with the intention that he had and and mapping out this covenant God that came and experienced or expressed himself with John and many other witnesses that would have been in the room. Like, yes, I was with Jesus when he fed 5,000 people. I was with Jesus when the boy was healed. I was with Jesus when the um, blind man was healed in John 9. I was there for the—like, imagine the testimony and the interaction that would have been good for everyone— and then he goes on and not only introduces the seven names, of the seven ways in which God expressed himself as I am in Jesus Christ, he also gave seven signs of the Messiah through Jesus Christ. One of them was the water and the wine. Another was the healing of a sick boy. The Another was a paralyzed man. The other was the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the blind man, and then the mega one, which was the raising of Lazarus that caused people to want to walk right by Jesus and walk right up to Lazarus and interact just with Lazarus. Because if you were dead and were alive, people would be very interested in your life. Okay. But the seventh and most powerful sign is what we talked about last week, which was the resurrection. Jesus said, you would destroy this body, but I'm going to bring it back up. There was no greater power so seven names, seven I Am's, seven statements, seven signs, the most powerful one being the resurrection. And the whole time in, in John's gospel, he was laying out for the people with great intentions what he had seen and experienced with Jesus Christ. So when you look at John chapter 2 through John chapter 10, there were these miraculous signs and these incredible conversations some that took place in the middle of the night, some that took place in the temple, some that were taking place far from Jerusalem. Like, and then when you get to John chapters 11 and 12, there are two chapters dedicated to the story of Lazarus' death and resurrection and the response. Huge amount of John's writings was based around Lazarus' story. And then the whole last half of the book is John talking about Jesus' final words. So you have years of John's life with Jesus, but he takes and spends the majority of the gospel talking about the things Jesus actually said to him and the brothers and sisters that were with him. So can I tell you guys, if I can go back to where I started, the people in your life want to know what Jesus has said to you. The people in your life want to know how you have felt love from the most high God they're going to want to know how they how you have interacted, felt cared for, been met in the late night and in the early morning and in at work and in your worship and they're going to want to know how all of that's coming together and you get a great glimpse of what that looks like and then you begin to see in John 18 through 20 in Jesus's death and resurrection how John takes the facts of Christ's crucifixion and Christ's resurrection and shares it with great love with people. Not to convince anybody, but just to share with great passion. Can I just tell you, I think a lot of you don't share your testimony because you're scared you're not going to get any results. You're only called to tell the truth. You're only called to be a display of God's life. Like we get to walk in his resurrection power. We get to be a, as the church, as our church mission statement says, to be a display of God's greatness. You and I get to have the privilege of owning everything that God has ever said and done to us, and we're responsible to share that. You're not responsible to share my story, that's my responsibility. I'm a Peter to your John or you're a John to my Peter like we have responsibilities and we have different opportunities to begin to share in that story. And so I would love for us as a church to not just know the stories in the gospel of John. I would I would love for you to be able to even memorize it. That's great. But the point is not to take it in so much that you could pass every trivia question ever asked on the Gospel of John. The point is, is can you be a John to somebody else? Are you ready to share the good news of Christ in and through your life to other people? And so I just want to encourage us. This is a very busy season. We're we're going to have a lot of responsibilities on you trying to close the books in your jobs, trying to get your families prepared for the holidays season. Like this is an intensely joyous but stressful season. Just watch all Christmas movies right now. You know, it's like every Christmas movie is, we just laugh because, oh yeah, that's my family stressed out. Um, but we have to figure out a time to say, okay, Lord, I want to be with you in this season. So it's th- this American Christmas against a true Advent spirit. spirit. Like, If you thought Christmas started on Friday, we're wrong. Advent starts like we are getting ready to have this anticipation of Christmas. Christmas comes on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But we need this season of saying, where's my candle? Let me sit by a a dimly lit candle and let me have some time with my Lord and Savior. How can I breathe during the chaos of Christmas? We need to figure out a way. You own your schedule. You are the keeper of your time. And we have to figure out a way of sitting and knowing to tell our story. So I would love for the testimony of our church to be that there's a group of people that know how to share their hope in Jesus Christ. And so going into this next year, we want to continue through our intentional living, helping you take time and journal your story. Take time and practice the things and moments where you've had an encounter with God. I can remember one of the most special moments I ever had in my life was when I took a brand new Bible with me to California, thinking that I was going to basically be auditioning for a church to become their youth pastor. So I went to camp with their kids, and I'm taking my new Bible, my new journey, and I open it up, and I'm reading out of James And I'm sitting on this rock on this waterfall and I'm three verses in and I dropped my Bible into the river. (laughs) By the time I found it downstream, it was about that thick. But I can just remember the whole time that I was out there on that river that the Lord was saying to me, I want you to draw near to me. I want you to be close to me. Now, again, I don't think he was drowning the word of God (laughs) Um, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, is I remember in that moment that God spoke to me very powerfully. And in that moment, he was speaking peace over my life because I, I I didn't know yet fully, but he was asking me to, in many ways, feed his church similar to a calling that Peter might have. But yet I had no idea the weight of that. And he was letting me know if you if you seek me, as Kevin shared in his testimony, As we pursue him and we abide with him, he's going to be the one that's going to set our path straight. And so with that, let me pray over us. Father, I thank you. And I ask that our brothers and sisters today are encouraged, encouraged through each other's story, but they're also encouraged, Father, to tell their story. Father, let us as a church be a place where we can practice telling our story. Where we can get the nervousness out with one another so that when we're with people that need to know why we believe in you, that we're prepared. Father, we want to be prepared. Father, forgive us for the lack of preparation. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us for the ways in which we delegate away our story. But Father, we want to own our story. We want it to be a light into dark places. We want it to be a place, Lord, that draws men and women to you. So, Father, help us to see clearly all the wonderful things you've done for us. And may we announce it to others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only he can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com slash give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.